Welcome back to our study of the names of Jesus. We are looking at scripture and what it tells us about our Lord uh, and how it describes Jesus and the different names that are listed um, or that are given for him. We can understand more about Jesus by understanding what these names mean and why they are used to describe him. We're going to begin in Psalm 55 today. So you can go ahead and turn there if you're uh, uh, following along in your Bible, but I want to paint a picture real quick. Let's imagine you're out in the desert. It's a vast desert. There's nothing around. It's barren. And as you're walking in the heat and the dry and it's bearing down on you, you hear the sound of a rushing wind from behind. You turn to see the great billowing grayish-brown cloud approaching you, a sandstorm. And what is the reality of a sandstorm is that the high winds and the abrasive sand that it is bringing with it, if you are not uh, sheltered somewhere, you will be cut to pieces by it. The clothes will be ripped from your body. The flesh will be torn from you. We, we, even use, I mean, we use sandblasting to clean industrial items. That's how abrasive it is. We use it as a tool. Uh, but if you're stuck out in it, it is potentially very dangerous. And if you've ever lived in certain parts of the United States where sandstorms occur, you know that they're incredibly invasive and damaging and dangerous. Um, and to a nomadic desert people, which the Jewish heritage uh, contains, uh, that would have been something that mattered to them. And so we're going to read this morning about, or whatever time it is when you're watching this, it's morning for me. Uh, we're going to read today uh, several verses that describe Jesus uh, on this basis. Let's begin in Psalm chapter five, uh, chapter 55, verse 5. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror overwhelms me, and I say, Oh, that I had wings like a dove, I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away, I would lodge in the wilderness. I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and tempest. David here is writing about all the trouble surrounding him, the pain and turmoil, and what is he going to do? He wants to find a shelter, and that shelter for him is the Lord. So let's look now in Isaiah. I'm going to turn forward a bit to Isaiah chapter 25, and we'll see what the prophet has to say on this subject here. Isaiah chapter 25, and we'll look at verse 4. The earth mourns, or excuse me, chapter 25. I almost went to 24. Chapter 25, we've got pages sticking together here. For you have been a stronghold to the poor, a stronghold to the needy in his distress, a shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat. For the breath of the ruthless is like a storm against a wall, like heat in a dry place. So he describes that desert scene very well. And Jesus, we, we, can, we can apply Jesus here, although this is Old Testament language, right? Because Jesus is there in all of that. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. But he, he's talking about God providing a shelter, God providing protection. So where do we put Jesus in this? Well, uh, first let's talk a little bit about this shelter in the storm. We're talking about a rock. Uh, we're talking about a shelter. And this would have been a ledge that they would have hid under to shelter themselves and protect themselves. And it's a, something that would not move, something that would be sturdy and steadfast and withstand uh, the storm. Now, how do we make this connection to Jesus here? Where, where, where does this come from? Well, let's go to 1 Corinthians. 
And let's see what Paul says, because he will then reference this kind of language, and we'll talk about how that connects us to Jesus. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and let's look at verse 4. Well, actually, let's back up. Let's start in the first verse of chapter 10. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And they all ate the same spiritual food. Okay, now just a minute. Paul's making a point here that we have a spiritual heritage in Abraham and in Moses and in the Old Covenant, right? Even though we're not Jewish. Um we have a spiritual heritage in that time, in that place. And he says that their, their forefathers were all under the cloud. We had a cloud that led them, remember, uh, out, of, out of Egypt and through to the promised land. There was a pillar of fire at night that stood before them and led them, right? Um, and they, were, they passed through the sea, right? And, and they were baptized into Moses. And this isn't the baptism we think of. It means they were surrounded by, enveloped by, immersed in. Moses and all the things that came along with that journey. They ate the same spiritual food, a, a reference to manna, but the unity that they had in, in, uh, in taking in that manna together. They drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. All right. Now this also, these are very clear references to events that occurred on the journey of the Israelites to uh, the promised land. We have the cloud, we have the water, we have the rock that was drank from, and we know the story of the rock at Meribah and, and Moses speaking to her, striking the rock to bring forth water. But he says this is a spiritual rock they drank from, and it followed them. Now, if you had gone to one of the Israelites who was on that journey and said, tell me about the rock that's following you, they would have no clue what you were talking about because this is not a literal thing that was following them around. What was it? Paul clarifies, and the rock was Christ. Well, most of us think that Jesus doesn't show up until Matthew chapter 1, okay, or thereabouts. Until the Gospels, Jesus is completely on the sideline just waiting to go into the game. But that's not really true when we read Scripture. What we discover when we examine Scripture is that Jesus has always been a part of the story. He was there at creation. John chapter 1 tells us that. He's there uh, in these moments between the lines. He's there, according to Paul, following after the Israelites, providing for them this spiritual water, protecting them, uh, looking over them, sheltering them. The shelter in the storm that, that David talks about, that Isaiah talks about, they're referencing that time of their people walking through the desert, wandering through the desert, seeking shelter. And there was a spiritual shelter that was with them, the rock that provided spiritual drink, Jesus Christ. So Jesus was there. He was with them, and they didn't know it. But he follows after them. And not a, not a stationary rock that is passive, that one just hides behind, but actively pursuing, protecting, and securing. We see this idea in a lot of our old hymns. If you come from the Church of Christ tradition, as I do, you'll know these hymns like Rock of Ages, Cleft for Me, Let Me Hide Myself in Thee, or um, A Wonderful Savior, A Wonderful Savior is Jesus my Lord, uh, etc. And then he hide the refrain, He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock. Protection, care, security, those things are what um, are what Jesus provides us. 
We are safe when we are in Christ. That's the message of the name, the rock, uh, the shelter, the shelter in a time of storm. So the question we have to ask ourselves, if we understand that uh, being sheltered from the storm has been a recurring theme in Scripture, and as Paul points out, this shelter in the storm is Christ, sheltering us from not just the trouble of the world, but sheltering our hearts from damnation, from what the devil will do to try and draw us away from God. So if that's where we're safe, then this is the question we have to ask ourselves. Are we safe? Are we safe? Are we putting our faith in the right things? Do we place our security and entrust our security to the right things? Um, do you put your safety and security in things like human knowledge, human philosophy? You know, when I was in college, I paid crazy amounts of money for textbooks. Uh, and if you're a parent and you're sending kids to college, you understand that. Um, I, I took some courses in um, business. Uh, that's what I studied, and, and we had some legal courses, business law. And so we used some textbooks that were produced by Westlaw. Westlaw is the preeminent legal textbook uh, publisher. And they're very proud of their books. And I remember I had one book, Legal Environment of Business or something like that. $700 this book costs. Um, and you, you bought it, you had to have it. There were cases to study and things like that in it. And then you could, this was before renting books became kind of a popular concept. Um, and then at the end of the year, in the semester, you could go sell your textbook back, right? And you'd get half back that you paid for it. And uh, now you think, well, couldn't you go online and sell it to whoever was taking the class the next semester? Well, occasionally, but you would be selling at a discount and... The other problem, there was usually another edition of that book that came out. Now, I know there's economic reasons for that, but there's also a really practical reason. Human knowledge changes. What we know changes. If we were to look back at textbooks in the late 1800s, medical textbooks, we would laugh at how foolish it is and how little they knew. And one day, future generations will laugh at us for chemotherapy the fact that we use poison to try and kill cancer before it kills the host um, is a very primitive kind of way to treat the disease, but it's what we do. It's what we know now, and it's changing all the time, and it will continue to change. So we put our faith in human knowledge, but human knowledge changes. It's dated. It's outdated. Do we put our, our, our um, faith in other people? What about our politics? You put your faith in your politics and who you vote for. Do you think if you get the right person elected, it's going to fix everything? Do you put your faith in yourself to get through troubling times, to overcome Satan and his efforts to derail you? Do you put your faith in your preacher? I hope not. Um, no, that's what I do for a living, and and it's it's the best thing I've ever done. It's, it's what I feel like I was made for, uh, to, to do that work on a full-time basis. But if I haven't already, I'm going to disappoint the people in my congregation uh, because I'm very, very good at disappointing people because <laughs> I'm human. It's what we do. And 
You can't put your faith in someone like that. You can't trust me to be a shelter in a time of storm. I might do my best. I might really want to be good at that. And I'm good at protecting my family and taking care of the people that matter to me, but I'll fail. I'll let them down. But God doesn't, because through Jesus we have a shelter. Through Jesus we have a fortress. As Paul said, uh, Israel drank the same and ate the same salvation, and, uh, and they were protected uh, by the same rock provided that, that drink. Um, but, the, but most of the people, think about this. If, if these people that were in the desert wandering that Paul's talking about, if, if they all ate the same food and drank from the same the water from the same rock and they were protected, Jesus was there with them, most of the people that went on that journey died. You know, God marched them around for, for a number, enough years to kill off a generation. Well, then what, how, do we, how do we reconcile that? If Jesus was there and offering them spiritual water and, and offering them security and safety, why did most of them die in the desert? Because we run into this one little problem sometimes. We mistake being around people that are on the rock for being on the rock. Does that make sense? Think about your church life and your church experience. So many people go to church. They sit there, they sing the songs, they pray the prayers, they hear the sermon, they take the communion, they go home, and they don't think twice about it. And they feel okay because uh, they're around church people. They're there every Sunday. And sometimes we get to thinking about that in a way that it that we have to ask ourselves, are we... Are we grounded on the rock or are we just hanging around good people? There's a difference between being a Christian and just hanging around Christians. And it has to do with how we live and what we put in our minds and what we focus on. There is a verse, it comes from Matthew. I won't go there right now, but you can look it up. Um, where, where the question is asked, what would it profit a man if he gained the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Or what would a man give in exchange for? for his soul. I'll give a shout out to Dennis Ryan, a uh, former teacher of mine from Harding Academy in Searcy, uh, uh, who is now retired, uh, but was a, a coach and a teacher and a counselor there for a long time. And this was his favorite verse. Anybody that went to, to Harding Academy during the time of Coach Ryan knows uh, that verse. But the question is important. What would a man give in exchange for his soul? What would it profit a man if he gained the whole world yet forfeits his soul? That means that we have to have a laser focus on Jesus because there's a lot of things in this world to distract us. There's a lot of things to take us away from our focus on Christ. And there's a lot of ways that the devil tries to fool us by thinking that we don't have to worry about temptation and sin because, hey, we're pretty good people. We hang around good people. We don't need to worry about that. We're doing okay. But it takes waking up every day and making a conscious decision that you're going to be focused on Jesus. If we're supposed to be the bride of Christ, we can't flirt with the world. If we're supposed to be the bride of Christ, we have to understand what that commitment means. And we can't be flirting with the world. We have limited ourselves to one partner, and that's Jesus. And every day we've got to maintain that laser focus because remember, for Jesus to win, we have to focus on him. For the devil to win, we just have to look at anything else that's not Jesus. We're in a battle we're in a battle, 
and we are seeking a fortress of protection, and that's Jesus. You know, fortresses of protection, a shelter, like a shelter in a storm, was a shelter in battle. It was where people would, would gather for protection as a city was under siege. We've got to get to Jesus. We're in a battle, and we must now get to Jesus. In, by, by the way, there's descriptions in, in Scripture that describe not just as the rock, uh, the shelter in the storm, but as the high rock. Now, um, that's really important. Historically, um, if you look at, say, like the Battle of Gettysburg, the Battle of Gettysburg was a really pivotal battle in the Civil War, won by the Union, but very easily could have been won by the Confederacy. And here's why they lost it. The Confederacy was very, very, very patient. And they did not take the high ground on the battlefield immediately. They waited. General Lee decided to wait, either because he didn't think the high ground was important or he thought they could get it the next day. And by the time uh, that, that they were ready, the Union had already established the high ground. And the Confederacy lost that battle because they failed to take the high ground. Uh, and repeated efforts made to get it failed. Um, and that probably cost them the war. I mean, if they had won Gettysburg, they're on the doorstep of Washington, D.C., and our country would look very different today. Our world would look very different. Uh, all because they failed to get the high ground. The high ground is important. It's where the fortress is. It's where you're protected. It's where you're safe. It's where you can fight back the enemy. It's a place of advantage. We'll look at some more verses here. Let's go to Psalm chapter 27. Psalm chapter 27. We're going to read the whole thing here. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent and he will lift me high upon the rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, Seek my face. My heart says to you, Your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Second um, Samuel. Let's go there. 2 Samuel chapter 22. And I'll just kind of give off some of these verses in rapid succession here. Uh, 2 Samuel 
Chapter 22, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior, you save me from violence. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. And now we go back. We'll go back to Psalm chapter 18 now. Verse 1, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. O God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. I am saved from my enemies. My goodness, it looks like David copy and pasted there uh, a little bit out of the account from Samuel. Um, th this is a refrain that is repeated in Scripture. The reference to God as the protector God as the deliverer and the fortress. And what does Paul say? Where, where does Paul say the true power of that protection lies? In Christ. It is Christ that, il, that is how God goes about protecting and securing us in a shelter uh, and in a place of safety. So Jesus is the shelter in the storm. Jesus is the high rock. And we need to remember that. And that's another important thing about stones and rocks and all of this is that they're used to remember. We see that in scripture. We certainly see that in our life. You know, if you go by a cemetery, you see stones that have been erected to, to, um, to remember people, to remember moments, roadside markers, historical markers, to, to remember events that have occurred. Even in the, in the Bible, in Joshua chapter four, when the Israelites go down, they're, they're, they're marching on toward, um, well, toward Jericho, um, and they come to the Jordan River, and it's at flood stage. You can't get across it, and um, God says, take the ark, take the elders, go down there, and I'll give you safe passage. And when they get to the edge of the water, God holds back the current of the water. The Bible says there was a pile of water. I've never seen a pile of water, but it must have been amazing to see. And they crossed on dry ground, and after they crossed, God says, go and take one stone for each of the tribes, 12 stones, from the, the river, and set it up as a monument. And they did that. They go to Gilgal, and they set up a monument there. And God said, the reason you're going to do this is because your children and your grandchildren will see these stones one day, and they'll ask what they mean. And you'll tell them the story of how God provided safe passage through the water. God, Jesus is our rock and our shelter, our protection. And he, in turn, makes us rocks of remembrance and of memorial because people look at us and we are to tell the story. In that song, um, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, there's a very strange word there that most people uh, don't know what it means. It says, here I raise my Ebenezer. An Ebenezer is a Hebrew word that means a rock of remembrance. We are the rock of remembrance as Jesus is the rock of shelter and fortress. We find ourselves in him protected and carried through the storm of life and of Satan to get to salvation. And in turn, we are rocks of remembrance and honor in his name. Jesus is our shelter in the time of storm. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hope this was helpful to you, and we'll see you next time as we continue our journey on the names of Jesus.